podcast for my mother. She read to me when I was little, so now I'm returning the favour and you're welcome to listen along. It's Thursday and that means I'm reading something offbeat. Sundays are for classics, but whatever I'm reading, it's always great writing. Tonight, I'm coming to you from a very rainy Sydney, where as of April the 7th, we have achieved our annual rainfall already. Thanks very much, La Nina. I hope the audio is okay for you all. But in any event, let's soldier on. Charles V had a diet of worms. Well, no, he didn't eat worms, but he did have a diet of worms. Now, some of you may be thinking, come on, Nudie, what are you saying? Has the rain softened your brain? Have you been on the sauce? He didn't eat worms, but he had a diet of worms? Those two ideas don't go together. They don't make sense. Let me explain. Tonight, I am in Germany in the 16th century at the Diet of Worms, 1521 to be precise. A diet, for those who aren't history buffs, is a deliberative assembly, a congress, a sort of legislative body of all princes and clergy, presided over by the big guy, the ultimate ruler. Think of a diet as a bit like a cross between a court and a parliament. Worms is a city in the southeast of Germany with an incredible medieval cathedral. I love a cathedral, me, but I digress. Worms, it is actually pronounced Worms, but I prefer Worms because it's more fun. Parche to my German listeners. You guys rock, but I'm going to stick with Worms for tonight. Worms was the site of an imperial diet. From 28 January to 25 May 1521. Why was it imperial? Because Germany was part of the Holy Roman Empire. What was the Holy Roman Empire? It was the empire spanning Western and Southern Europe for about a thousand years, starting from the very early Middle Ages, from about the year 800 to about 1800. The first Holy Roman Emperor was the incredible Charlemagne. Carlo Magna, we call him in Italian. Anyway, in 1521, the Holy Roman Emperor was Charles V. So, Charles V had a diet of worms. So what was the diet of worms all about? It was about that pesky, foul-mouthed lunatic friar, Martin Luther who had started to refer to Pope Leo X as the Antichrist. Now, Protestant or Catholic, I think we can all agree, those are fighting words. And as the old New York saying goes, don't start none, won't be none. Martin Luther started some. And the Diet of Worms was a trial for him to explain his hostility to the Catholic Church and the Pope. What was all this Antichrist talk about? Luther had become a sensation in 1517 after letting his anger management issues get out of hand as he listed 95 complaints about the Catholic Church and he also wrote a few books slamming the Pope and the clergy. I won't go into details, but he was essentially accusing the Church of being corrupt and venal, which it probably was at that time not my point this evening. 
Luther had become quite popular with a range of types of people, from the peasantry to even some of the nobility. Not with the church, of course. They thought he was Satan. Now, at the Diet of Worms, half the princes or thereabouts were kind of on his side, and maybe even secretly, the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V. It was not a kangaroo court per se, but it was awfully close. They tried to confuse him, tried to get him to retract, tried to guilt him, implored him, and all to no avail. Martin Luther believed he was right, that he was following scripture and the word of God properly, that it was the Catholic Church that was in the wrong in its behaviours and interpretation. Luther was asked to renounce his previous books and his complaints, and he made his case for why he wouldn't. He was eventually found to be an outlaw, and his books were banned, and he was to be arrested. Was he also executed for heresy, as had happened to many other vocal Protestants challenging the Catholic Church? No. Martin Luther got spirited away to safety before anyone could do anything about the edict against him. And that's why the Diet of Worms is often called the trial that led to the modern world. Not just because Martin Luther defended himself well, but because he survived, and Protestantism, Lutheranism, Augustinian thought survived with him. It was a critical trial, as much for itself as for what happened after. I think of the Diet of Worms as the original cancel culture attempt. Martin Luther was gaining in popularity, and the Catholic Church was trying to bury him under the sheer weight of sundry charges and accusations of heresy. Still he persisted, and he challenged that cancel culture, very effectively indeed. Tonight, I am reading Martin Luther's notes of the trial at the Diet of Worms. He was not for being cancelled. He was not going to sit idly by. By the way, he wasn't fat when it happened, as the famous portrait of him shows a pretty chubby gent. At the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was thin, with worry, because he was playing for very high stakes. His life, his spirit, his belief, and that of all of his very many followers as well. Let's begin. The herald summoned me on the Tuesday in Holy Week and brought me safe conducts from the emperor and from several princes. On the very next day, Wednesday, these safe conducts were in effect violated at Worms, where they condemned and burned my writings. Intelligence of this reached me when I was at Worms. The condemnation, in fact, was already published in every town, so that the herald himself asked me, whether I still intended to repair to Worms. Though in truth I was physically fearful and trembling, I replied to him, quote, I will repair thither, though I should find there as many devils as there are tiles on the housetops. End quote. When I arrived at Oppenheim, near Worms, Master Busser came to see me and tried to dissuade me from entering the city. He told me that Glapion, the emperor's confessor, had been to see him, 
and had entreated him to warn me not to go to Worms, for that if I did, I should be burned. I should do well, he added, to stop in the neighbourhood at Franz von Sickingen's, who would be very glad to entertain me. The wretches did this for the purpose of preventing me from making my appearance within the time prescribed. They knew that if I delayed only three more days, my safe conduct would have been no longer available, and then they would have shut the gates in my face and, without hearing what I had to say, have arbitrarily condemned me. I went on, then, in the purity of my heart, and on coming within the sight of the city, at once sent forward word to Spalatin that I had arrived, and desired to know where I was to lodge. All were astonished at hearing of my near approach, for it had been generally imagined that a victim to the trick sought to be practised on me, my terrors would have kept me away. Two nobles, the Seigneur von Hirschfeld and John Schott, came to me by the order of the elector and took me to the house in which they were staying. No prince came at the time to see me, but several counts and other nobles did, who gazed at me fixedly. These were they who had presented to His Majesty the 400 articles against ecclesiastical abuses, praying that they might be reformed and intimating that they would take the remedy into their own hands if need were. They had all been freed by my gospel. The Pope had written to the Emperor, desiring him not to observe the safe conduct. The bishops urged His Majesty to comply with the Pope's request, but the Prince and the States would not listen to it, for such conduct would have excited a great disturbance. All this brought me still more prominently into general notice, and my enemies might well have been more afraid of me than I was of them. The Landgrave of Hesse, still a young man at that time, desired to have a conference with me, came to my lodgings, and after a long interview said on going away, quote, Dear doctor, if you be in the right, as I think you are, God will aid you. End quote. On my arrival, I have written to Glapion, the emperor's confessor, entreating him to come and see me at his first leisure. But he refused, saying it was useless for him to do so. I was then cited and appeared before the whole council of the imperial diet in the town hall where the emperor, the electors and the princes were assembled. Dr. Eck, official of the Archbishop of Treves, opened the business by saying to me, first in Latin and then in German, quote, Martin Luther, his sacred and invincible majesty with the advice of the states of the empire, has summoned you hither that you may reply to the two questions I am now about to put to you. Do you acknowledge yourself the author of the writings published in your name, and which are here before me? And will you consent to retract certain of the doctrines which are therein inculcated? End quote. I think the books are mine, replied I. But immediately, Dr. Jerome Schruff added, quote, Let the titles of the works be read. End quote. When they had read the titles, I said, yes, the books are mine. Then he asked me, 
Will you retract the doctrines therein? I replied, Gracious Emperor, as to the question whether I will retract the opinions I have given forth, a question of faith in which are directly interested my eternal salvation and the free enunciation of the divine word, that word which knows no master either on earth or in heaven and which we are all bound to adore, but we as great as we may, it would be rash and dangerous for me to reply to such a question until I have meditated thereupon in silence and retreat, lest I incur the anger of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, who has said, He who shall deny me before men, I will deny him before my Father which is in heaven. I therefore entreat your sacred majesty to grant me the time necessary to enable me to reply with full knowledge of the pointed issue, and without fear of blaspheming the word of God, or endangering the salvation of my soul. They gave me till the next day at the same hour. The following morning I was sent for by the bishops and others who were directed to confer with me and endeavour to induce me to retract. I said to them, The word of God is not my word. I therefore cannot abandon it, but in all things short of that I am ready to be docile and obedient. The margrave, Joachim, then interposed and said, Sir, doctor, as I understand it, your desire is to listen to counsel and to instruction on all points, that do not trench upon that word? Yes, I replied, that is my desire. Then they told me that I ought to place myself entirely in the hands of His Majesty, but I said I could not consent to this. They asked me whether they were not themselves Christians and entitled to have a voice in deciding the questions between us as well as I. Whereunto I answered, that I was ready to accept their opinions in all points which did not offend against the word, but that from the word I would not depart, repeating that as it was not my own I could not abandon it. They insisted that I ought to rely upon them and have full confidence that they would decide rightly. I am not, rejoined I, by any means disposed to place my trust in men who have already condemned me without a hearing, although under safe conduct. But to show you my zeal and sincerity, I tell you what I will do. Act with me as you please. I consent to renounce my safe conduct and to place it unreservedly in your hands. At this, my lord Frederick de Feilich observed, Truly this is saying quite enough, or indeed too much. By and by, they said, Will you at all events abandon some of the articles? I replied, In the name of God, I will not defend for a moment any articles that are opposed to the scripture. Hereupon two bishops slipped out and went and told the emperor I was retracting. At this a message came to me, asking whether I really consented to place myself in the hands of the emperor and of the diet. I answered that I had consented to nothing of the sort and should never consent to it. So I went on, resisting alone the attempts of them all, 
for Dr. Scherf and my other friends had become angry with me for my obstinacy, as they called it. Some of my disputants said to me that if I would come over to them, they would in return give up to me and abandon the articles which had been condemned at the Council of Constance, to all of which I simply replied, Here is my body, hence my life. Do with them as you will. Then Cochleus came up to me and said, Martin, if thou wilt renounce the safe conduct, I will dispute with thee. I, in my simplicity and good faith, would have consented to this, but Dr. Jerome Scherf replied with an ironical laugh, Oh, truly, that were a good idea, that were a fair bargain. I, faith, you must needs think the doctor a fool. So I refused to give up the safe conduct. Several worthy friends of mine, who were present, had already, at the bare mention of the proposition, advanced towards me as if to protect me, exclaiming to Cochleus, What, you would carry him off a prisoner then? That shall not be. Meantime, there came a doctor of the retinue, of the Margrave of Baden, who essayed to move me by fine flourishes. I ought, he said, to do a very great deal, to grant a very great deal, for the love of charity, that peace and union might continue, and no tumult arise. All, he urged, were called upon to obey his imperial majesty, as being the supreme authority. We ought all to avoid creating unseemly disturbances, and therefore he concluded, I ought to retract. I will, replied I, with all my heart, in the name of charity, do all things and obey in all things, which are not opposed to the faith and honour of Christ. Then the Chancellor of Trevor's said to me, Martin, thou art disobedient to his imperial majesty. Wherefore, depart hence, under the safe conduct which has been given thee. I answered, It has been as it pleased the Lord it should be. And you, I added, do all of you on your part consider well the position in which you are. And so I departed in singleness of heart without remarking or comprehending their machinations. Soon afterwards they put in force their cruel edict, that ban which gave all ill men an opportunity of taking vengeance with impunity on their personal enemies, under the pretext of their being Lutheran heretics. And yet, in the end, the tyrants found themselves under the necessity of recalling what they had done. And this is what happened to me at Worms, where I had no other aid than the Holy Spirit. And that's where we'll leave it tonight. Martin Luther, from just over 500 years ago, in his own words. It's quite the recollection, isn't it? Quite the journal entry of the Diet of Worms. I find it incredibly vivid as well as filled with his particular flavour of righteousness, indignation, and a little bit of smarm. He was rather full of himself, or at least convinced of his correctness, and I think this writing shows that. But was he wrong to be so? Not really, in my view. 
Shouldn't we study to know what we're talking about? Shouldn't we stand up for our beliefs? When we see injustice, shouldn't we call it out? Yes, to all that. Even in 2022, we can learn something from Marty's great writing. We live with a lot less injustice these days than in the past, but there are still diets of worms happening today. It seems to me every day on Twitter is a kind of diet of worms for someone. Lately, the author J.K. Rowling, who is doing her bit to defend women as women and women's sports in particular. But Martin Luther showed that we can prevail against the cancellors, and for that we should all be very grateful. And on that note, I'll sign off. But before I go, I'll say Buna Ziwa to new listeners in Romania. Welcome aboard. You are joining a very diverse crew of listeners from all over the world, and you are most welcome. Do check out past episodes. There's plenty to enjoy. Right, I'll be back on Sunday, 9pm Sydney time with a classic, and I wish you all a great rest of the week. Please keep sharing the podcast with friends and family who love great writing and the words of the past. And if you are minded to write a review on your podcast listening app of choice, that would be very welcome too. Until next time then, take care. It's slippery out there. And thanks for listening to Nitty Reads. <laughs>